morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Wednesday, November 24th. How one Chinese-American family pushed back on racial housing restrictions. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. The California Highway Patrol is ramping up operations tonight ahead of one of the busiest traffic days of the year. CHP will step up patrols for drunk and drug-impaired drivers and other traffic violators as part of their Thanksgiving weekend maximum enforcement campaign. The increased patrols will start at 6 p.m. tonight and conclude at midnight on Sunday. Water has been restored in the East Village after a weekend water main break, but as of Tuesday night, thousands who live in the East Village were still under a boil water order. Arian Collins is the public information officer with the city of San Diego. He says lifting the order is a process. We need to have two negative tests in a row, and it takes 24 hours before we can have the second test. If they both come back negative, then we take the information to the state. If they give us the all clear, we can lift the boil water notice. He says the pipes that are causing the most issues are 76-year-old cast iron water mains, which will be replaced by 2025. San Diego Gas and Electric has sent out notices that they might cut power to certain areas tomorrow due to heightened wildfire conditions. The National Weather Service has a red flag warning issued for Thanksgiving morning through Friday evening for the mountains and inland valleys. National Weather Service meteorologist Alex Tardy says rural parts of the East County are ripe for fire. It hasn't rained for, for almost four weeks. So what makes this particular Santa Ana wind different is that it's back to as if it's late September in terms of how dry it is in the backcountry. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Long ago, when the public square was the only place to share news, events, and happenings, people were drawn to it. Living in community with others was the route to understanding each other and the world around us. The public square has changed dramatically, but our need to learn and understand one another hasn't. This is Port of Entry, the Parker Edison Project. Listener supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. Thank you for listening to KPBS Podcast and for being part of our region's virtual public square, where you learn not only about the headlines of the day, but about culture, music, and the issues that are important to all of us. Help keep the virtual square alive and well. Support podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. And thanks again. For decades in San Diego and across the U.S., housing deeds with racist restrictions blocked people of color from buying or renting homes. iNews Source reporter Roxana Popescu has this story about how one San Diego family pushed back. Tom Hom is at the door of the house he used to live in 74 years ago. But no one's home. If Hom is disappointed, he doesn't show it. Actually, he's all smiles. He's remembering the big attic bedroom he used to share with his brothers, family gatherings, watching fireworks from his upstairs bedroom. I have fond memories at this house here. All the dinners and things, bringing friends over. And here's where the family grew up. His family lived a good life here. I feel we were very fortunate to have spent all those days in this house. 
This home would never have been his if it weren't for his mother's courage. The year was 1947, and Hom's mother and her 12 children needed a bigger house. They set their sights on this spacious fixer-upper in North Park. But there was a problem. The family was Chinese-American, and the house was in a neighborhood where many properties had racially restrictive covenants. A restrictive covenant is that they designate uh, who can live there, who, who are not allowed to live there. And most of these covenants were against minorities. These racial restrictions were prevalent throughout San Diego on properties from Julian to Point Loma. In fact, a new source found racist language in more than 10,000 historic property records across San Diego County. Mary Jo Wiggins, a law professor at the University of San Diego, says restrictive covenants were a powerful deterrent for both buyers and sellers. That's because neighbors could sue if someone sold a house to a home buyer who wasn't white. It was understood among the residents that these covenants were there. So that from day one, disincentivized any resident from selling their home, marketing their home, advertising their home to anyone who wasn't a member of the favored group. In 1948, the Supreme Court ruled that racial covenants are unconstitutional. But a year earlier, when Hom's family was trying to buy a home, they were still in full force. To land a home, his mother fought back with friendliness. Hom describes her unusual way of winning over the neighbors. She went to house by house within four blocks, introduced herself, and said that she had a number of children. She promised her kids would be well-behaved, and then she invited the neighbors over for tea, telling them, I would like you to, any time, come over the house and have tea with, with us. And so she made, she, she made friends, and nobody complained. At his current home in Chula Vista, 94-year-old Hom pulls out old photos of the house and his family. That's my mother, and then James is my brother, biggest brother. Mm -hmm. Moving into that home changed the course of Tom Hom's life and many other lives. In 1963, he became San Diego's first minority city council member. And as a real estate agent, he knocked on doors just like his mother did to help Asian Americans buy homes in segregated neighborhoods. He says his mother was brave and determined and taught him the value of community connections. My mother, of course was an immigrant, but we were raised in, in the city of San Diego, and, and, and so we're as American as anybody else. Eventually, society caught up with the Supreme Court and racial covenants fell out of fashion. More recently, a new law was signed in California in September that will make it easier for homeowners to look up restrictive covenants and erase them. Hom says that while amending covenants is an option, it's more important to ensure that people are welcomed and not just on paper. That was iNews Source investigative reporter Roxana Popescu. This story was co-produced by Cody Dulaney and Mary Plummer. iNews Source is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. A key member of President Biden's cabinet was in Tijuana this week to talk about the region's cross-border sewage issues. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson. As more. Michael Regan says the solution to the cross-border pollution issue will require significant investment from both the United States and Mexico. There's a sense of urgency because of the economic loss, the, the, the lack of access to our beaches, um, that we want to look at all of the tools in our toolbox. The U.S. has set aside $300 million to start expansion of the existing international sewage treatment plant just north of the international border and to build a new water treatment facility next door. 
The plan also calls for a sewage plant south of Tijuana and other improvements. Reagan huddled with top Mexican officials, including Mexico's Secretariat of Foreign Affairs, Roberto Velasco Alvarez. Both countries are really concerned uh, about the public health threats of this pollution, but we also see a tremendous opportunity that if we leverage our resources and make strategic investments that will be more resilient than the past, that this will create an opportunity for economic development, jobs, and the protection of public health. A joint statement from the two countries recognized the importance of solving the issue for people on both sides of the border. The fact that we have President Biden's cabinet member here leading the EPA, putting a focus on these issues, and putting together organization to address these issues, well, for the short term as well as for the longer term, is in itself, I think, a very historic day. U.S. officials only have about half the money they need to implement all parts of their comprehensive solution. If everything gets built, more than 95 percent of the cross-border flows will be captured and treated. And that was KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson. COVID-19 relief funds meant a $6 million boost for hundreds of small businesses in San Diego. KPBS Speak City Heights reporter Jacob Ayer has more. More than 1,000 local businesses have benefited from the newly announced Small Business Relief Grant Program. Makina Garganu is one of the local business owners who received funding. She owns an entertainment company that was hard hit by the ripple effects of COVID-19. It's been a blessing because um, my event planning company was extremely affected by it um, because I had to shut down all, pretty much my operations. You know, uh, I actually did my first uh, live event uh, part almost a week and a half ago and 20 months. Later this year, an additional $6 million of funding will be distributed to qualifying local nonprofit organizations. And that was KPBS Speak City Heights reporter Jacob Ayer. Coming up, Comic-Con International is back with an in-person event called Comic-Con Special Edition, but it'll look a little different. I have a feeling that those people who remember Comic-Con from some years ago may see some uh, similarities to that. We'll preview it next, just after the break. Hey, 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 this is Parker Edison, host of the Parker Edison Project on KPBS. The cool thing about joining KPBS is you make one simple donation, and that money ripples into supporting everything else you see and hear on KPBS, including podcasts like this one you're listening to right now, making a place for fresh voices and perspectives to be heard. And that's music to my ears. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click that blue Give Now button, and donate what you can, all right? Thanks. The pandemic forced Comic-Con International to cancel its live event two years in a row, but now it returns as an in-person event this Friday with what it's calling Comic-Con Special Edition. It'll be a smaller show, but still at the San Diego Convention Center. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando has this preview. The exhibit hall is now open to attendees. 
It's been more than two years since I've heard those wonderful words, and this Friday I get to hear them again as Comic-Con Special Edition kicks into gear. But this year, instead of lining up to get a Hall H wristband, attendees will need to queue up to prove their vaccination status before picking up their badges. Safety is really a primary concern of ours. Everyone will, will need to be wearing a mask, have been vaccinated or proof of a vaccination or a negative COVID test. That's David Glanzer, spokesperson for Comic-Con International. Comic-Con is in excess of 135,000 attendees, and I think this, this show will be much smaller, uh, probably half the size, maybe a little bit smaller still. I have a feeling that those people who remember Comic-Con from some years ago may see some uh, similarities to that. That means you may actually be able to walk freely up and down the exhibit hall without being shoulder to shoulder with other attendees. You may also be able to get into panels without camping out overnight. That's because Hall H won't be hosting any Hollywood panels. Instead, it's being used as the staging area for registration. But the lack of Hollywood products might mean that people will discover smaller panels, like one on an open-world video game about the untold mythical tales of ancient Mexico called Mictlan. We have a team of archaeologists that we're working with. That's the kind of information you'll get from the panel, says Jose Iturriaga, the game's environment concept artist. One of the things that we want to share with people and, and what we'll be showing at the panel is, is the process, because a lot of people that play video games might not be aware of what the process is when, when a video game gets, gets created. You only see all the, the backstory after it's released. In this case, we're doing it differently. We're showing you the process. You're, you're riding along with us, so you're seeing how we're developing things, why we're creating things. And that's what we want to showcase on the panel as well, like show a little bit of the process, what we do. Similarly, on the exhibit floor, you won't find big companies like DC and Marvel. But their absence leaves room for new players like Patricio Janelsa, who'll be promoting his film and comic book, Lumpia with a Vengeance. The motives of the Lumpia man are still unknown. Well, definitely it is an opportunity for us independent creators to be seen and heard by the masses. But I also think it's a return to really what the, I believe the, the core of what Comic-Con is, right? It's always about, been about the creators. I think Comic-Con is literally our the audience that we've always wanted to attract. And uh, this is our big opportunity. I haven't, literally haven't wrapped my head around what's happening this, this week. Like a screening of the film that he's hosting on Friday. But attendees will find a robust artist alley and small press in the exhibit hall, as well as familiar faces like Scott Shaw and Kevin Eastman. Comic-Con Special Edition will also feature a soft reopening of the Comic-Con Museum, says Glanzer. One of the great things we've been able to do is to look into having a museum that will do pretty much what Comic-Con does throughout the year, which is focus attention on areas of popular art that a lot of people may not even realize is art. Because of the pandemic, we're opening up later than we had really originally hoped. Our grand opening will actually be in 2022, but we're having a soft opening the same weekend as uh, Comic-Con Special Edition. During Comic-Con Special Edition, there will be exhibits on sci-fi visionary Gene Roddenberry, cartoonist Charles Adams, eight decades of Archie comics, and Pac-Man Arcade. The good news is you don't need to have a badge to attend the museum. It's open to everyone. Comic-Con Special Edition will be gathering the nerd tribe in person to celebrate the popular arts, 
And that's something to be thankful for. And that was KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando. Comic-Con Special Edition runs Friday through Sunday. That's it for the podcast today. We'll be off tomorrow for the holiday, but we'll be back before you know it. In the meantime, be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day.